Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12 and John chapter 8. Mark chapter 12 and John chapter 8. I absolutely love a new year. Um, I think I've said that for, I guess, 23 years here now. And I always have because... I don't know about you guys, but often I feel like I really messed up the last year. How many of you ever feel that way? You know, it just, you know, the Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And as a pastor, there's always something else to do. There, there's always somebody else to talk to. There's always someone else to reach out to. I know that uh, business owners, Scott Huffman, we disciple together and we talked about this. As a business owner, you You never feel like you're done. It's hard to go home. It's hard to stop. And in ministry, it's the same way. And I'm sure moms, I can't imagine you mothers, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you work outside the home, there's always something else to do for the family. There's always laundry to do. There's always a meal to prepare. There's always homework to care for. There's always something. And I think that many of us, when we look at the responsibilities that God has brought into our lives And then we look at how well we fulfill those responsibilities. I think that most of us probably get to a place where we think we've not done a very good job. Any any of you with me on this or am I the only only one? Uh, There's times when I just feel like an absolute failure in ministry. And here's the thing. You've heard me say this before, that a pastor, people expect you to be a preaching whiz and a counseling whiz and a financial whiz and a marketing whiz, and I'm not even cheese whiz, right? And sometimes you feel like, whatever this job is that I've been given, I can't do it. I can't do it well enough. I think about you school teachers. You know, you have 30 kids in your classroom, and you've got kids that do very well, and you have other kids that struggle. You have kids that pay attention. You have kids that don't pay attention. And somehow in that lesson, you've got to reach every one of those kids in the room. And then the state checks up on you with the testing and you say, I don't know if I can do this. And then all the stuff that's it. It doesn't matter what it is. Those of you who work in a factory and they want more production and more production and more production. And you say, I, I don't think I can give anymore. I don't think I can do anymore. You students, you're in college and you're taking these classes and the teachers are pushing you and pushing you. And you feel like you're getting beyond where you can be or you finish school and now it's time to get a job. And you say, well, wait a minute. I don't even know where I want to be. I don't know where I want to live. So what are we supposed to do? And I think all of us feel this way. All of us get to the place where we say, what is my next step? I'm overwhelmed in life, and now here I am. I've got the new year. I've got a chance to start over. I've got a chance to do better. But I don't know about you guys, but for me, what happens is, well... I'm going to make all these plans, and I'm going to, I'm, I know I'm going to say I'm going to do better, but if the past is any indication, I'm probably going to do just the same as I always have. What do we do? How do we fix this? Look at Mark chapter 12. My message title, How to Please God in the New Year. How to please God in the new year. So look at what it says, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, 
which is the first commandment of all. Lord, help us as we study this text. And it's a very familiar text. I think many people in the room have most, most of it memorized. And yet, how do we live it? Father, help us as we, we try to get some help from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting. Notice what it says in verse 28. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together. Who had he heard reasoning together? If you look at verse 13, and they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words, to catch him in his words. Can you imagine? This is so fun. They're getting in a word battle with the word. I think they're going to lose. What do you guys think? How many of you think Jesus was a little intimidated at this moment? He wasn't, but they were trying to catch him. But here's something that's so interesting to me. Notice what it says in verse 13. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were the theological conservatives. These were the guys that cared about every word. And not only did they care about every word, they wanted to control the people with every word. So it's the Pharisees, the theological conservatives, and the Herodians. Who are the Herodians? They're Jews who were loyal to Herod. So these are the theological, I'm sorry, these are the political liberals. So, so if you can imagine, this is, you know, James Dobson with Madonna. Just think of people... Okay, I'm old. Okay, so who could, who could we say now? Uh, Billy Graham and Katy Perry. Are you guys impressed that I knew Katy Perry's name? You, you, can't have, you can't have two groups of people that are farther apart. This is Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump. Okay. And it's always amazing the people that will unite in opposition to God. And that's what's happening here. And so not only that, you have the theological conservatives, the Pharisees, who are trying to control people with the law and really just dominate their lives and make them miserable. And you have these Herodians who they wanted to give in to the Romans and, and get rid of the Jewish rule. And then notice what happens in verse 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees. So you have the Pharisees, the conservatives. You have the Herodians, which are the, the political liberals. And now you have the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? They're the theological liberals. And look, it even identifies them. Then came unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. So the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So there are churches all over town. So like the Episcopal Church, they don't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. The, the pastor there, Pastor Wagner, it's the first church of Christ or whatever it is there on, the, on, on Wapak, sits up on the hill. He wrote an article in the paper years ago, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Why would you have a job as a preacher if you didn't believe in the resurrection? How many of you find that odd? You don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. What are you doing? That's who these people are. But notice the question that they asked Jesus. Okay, so, so first, it says in verse 18, Then came unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, 
Look at what it says, drop down to verse 23. They're asking if somebody dies, a bunch of, he marries a bunch, this lady marries a bunch of different guys. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? They don't believe in the resurrection, but they're asking Jesus what's going to happen in the resurrection. How many of you think that maybe they were being disingenuous in their questioning? See, here you have all these people in Jesus. It's so funny. Look at what it says in verse 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, do ye, not know, uh, do ye not therefore err, because you do not know the Scriptures, neither the power thereof. It's interesting. To the liberals, he tells them, you don't know the Bible. Liberals love to use Scripture, but they have no idea what that Scripture means. So here we have three groups. Theological conservatives. How many of you have ever known a Christian who believes the Bible, who was way too much in your business. These are the people that we deal with in our lives. It, it just, it's just the reality of it. These legalistic Christians that it seems like all they care about is your external behavior. And, and I, from, from preachers, I call it behavior preaching. There are some preachers that have never preached a doctrinal sermon. It's all about behavior, controlling people. That's wrong. It is just wrong. We are supposed to preach the word. If the word is about behavior, then we deal with the behavior. If the word is about doctrine, then we deal with the doctrine. If the word is about encouragement, then we deal with the encouragement. If, the, if, if it's about the return of Christ, we deal with the return of Christ. We don't have an agenda when we come to the pulpit. That's the job of the preacher. And today, the, the question that I'm asking for myself is how am I going to please God in the new year when I know that I have failed in the past? How is the new year going to be different? And I can tell you this, the legalists all have an answer. Work harder. Give something up. Right? The legalist always has an answer for how you can be more like Christ, and usually it means you're going to be more like them. Right? The liberals all have an answer. It's not your fault. You can't help it. You're just a young skull full of mush. Folks, we don't need anybody to control our lives, and we don't need anyone to remove responsibility from us. Right? And then who are the third people, the theological liberals? There's nothing going to happen in the future anyway. Do what you want. Why do you care what anybody else thinks? You need to make yourself happy. I'm just telling you, do you know the, you know the best way to be unhappy? Make your own personal happiness the center of your life. That's how you're going to be the most unhappy. So these are the groups that come to Jesus, and they're all asking him questions, and of course Jesus Christ answers them masterfully, right? Right? The last questioner is the only questioner that was sincere. And according to the book of Matthew, he was actually put up to the question. He didn't really even want to ask the question. But when he questioned Christ, he saw that Christ had answered the other people well. He had reasoned with them well. And his question was sincere. What's the greatest commandment? So look, look again. I think it's verse 28, the end of the verse. Which is the first commandment of all? 
So again, the question I'm answering is, how are we going to please God in the new year? Those theological conservatives, they're going to tell you to change your behavior. The political liberals are going to tell you that it's not your fault. The theological liberals are going to say it doesn't matter because there's no future. What does Jesus say? The question that is being asked is the question that I think all of us ask at a new year or for students at a new semester. This is a question that we all ask, which is the first commandment of all? In other words, what's the most important thing for me to do? What's the most important thing in my life? What does God want me to do right now? See, if our goal is to please ourselves, then we're going to answer based on our opinions. If our goal is to please God, then we're going to prioritize the things in our lives the way that God tells us to do it. So how are we going to please God in the new year? I don't want you to see it. We're going to answer it straight from this text, verse 29. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So it begins, if you're going to establish your priorities properly, if you're going to get your life ordered in the right way, it has to start with hearing God. That's it. Hearing God. Hear, O Israel, the, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So how are we going to please God in the new year? First of all, you have to acknowledge who God is. Just acknowledge who he is. And here's the fun part. We acknowledge the God of the Bible. It's interesting, you know, that, that we just killed that Suleimani, and he was an Iranian general, and he was serving God. When he would kill the protesters there in, in Iran, anytime a protest would arise, this Suleimani, he was in charge of killing them. He killed 1,500 of them just this year, protesters. Killed 1,500 protesters this year. Why did he do that? Because they were, defi they, they were defying his God. Why was he wanting to overthrow our embassy in Baghdad? Because we, infidels, are defying his God. We have to understand, he, he didn't want to kill us because we're America. He wanted to kill us because Allah told him to. Are y'all with me on this? So if we're going to please God, we need to make sure it's the right God. When Moses wrote, it's Deuteronomy 6.4, I believe. And that's what Jesus Christ is quoting. When Moses, God had Moses write that down, the world was polytheistic. So, of course, we know there were hundreds or thousands of gods in Egypt. You know, remember the golden calf incident? That they were following the gods of, of Egypt. When I was in Egypt this past summer, I went to the National Museum and everything. They have all these images everywhere. They're all their gods, all these different gods that they had. And what the one true God said is they're, they're not really gods. There's only one God. There's only one. And it's the God that we worship. So when we're going to establish, how am I going to please God in the new year? I need to understand what God it is that I am following. One of the issues that Brother Fagali deals with in the Middle East, and, you know, he have, they have churches all over the Middle East, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Sudan, uh, these Muslim nations. 
what Bible translators are doing is they're, they're translating the name God as Allah. So when they go to evangelize these people, the, it, it's easier because, oh, we're, we're just preaching the God that you're already worshiping. Folks, the God of the Bible is not the God of Islam. Allah is a moon God. The one true God created the moon. It's not the same God. Here's another problem. If I'm going to please God this year, I need to make sure that my conceptions of who God is do not come from the legalist preachers that would tell you that God is angry with you because you don't behave in a certain way. See, there are people that want to serve God this year and they want to get right. But the God they're worshiping is a God of anger, a God of judgment. It's the kind of, the kind of God that would say, I've heard preachers say this. Um, now, how many of you know that we believe that you ought to tithe, that you ought to give? How many of you know that? All right, only like three people raise their hands. So open your Bibles and I'm going to preach on tithing today. How many of you know that God wants you to give? Right, we know that. But here's what preachers will say. Brent, God's going to get his money one way or another. Either you give in the offering plate or your transmission is going to go out. How many of you ever heard somebody say something like that? Where in the Bible do they get that? Do you know that the word transmission isn't even in the Bible? <laughs> I, I don't know where people, God's going to get his money somehow. How many of you ever heard somebody say something like that? See, here's the problem. Some of you will say, in the new year, I know that God wants me to give more. Or give better, be more faithful in my giving. Well, that's a good goal. How many of you think that's probably a good thing to say? But some will do that because they think that God will take their child if they don't give. That's not the God of the Bible. We do not have a vindictive God. We have a God of grace and mercy and love. Now, does he chasten us? Yes, but your giving is not based on how God is going to take a, his pound of flesh one way or another. That's not the God of the Bible. There are some people that, that they want to serve God better this year, but they're so down on themselves because of the failures of the past that they think, man, God can't use me. I'm too bad. Well, if God had to only use good people, I'm the only one in the room he could use. If God could only use good people, then Jesus would be the only one that would be serving. Right? The only people God has is us sinners. And like what Paul said, of whom I am chief. Did God use the Apostle Paul? God can use us. See, in order to please God this year, remember, we have to be worshiping the God of the Bible, not the God that some preacher has made up. Some, some image of God that someone has invented. Now, the flip side of it is there are some people who believe that God does not care about our behavior at all. Well, that's not true either. The Bible says, as God is holy, be ye holy. God does care about our behavior. Of course he cares about our behavior. But we don't do that. We don't live a holy life because he is going to judge us. My sin was already judged on the cross. I want to live a holy life because that's good for me and it's good for the people around me. When God teaches us holiness, that's because that holiness is good for us. 
We do not have a vindictive God and we do not have a licentious God, a God that does not care about sin. So if we're going to worship God, we need to worship the God of the Bible. And so if I'm going to please God this year, I need to please the God of the Bible. I'm not, I don't need to please the God that someone has invented or someone has created. We don't need to worry about the conservative legalists. We don't need to be concerned with the theological liberals. We don't need to be concerned with the political liberals. We need to hear God. And that's the God of the Bible. Go back to our text. Verse 29, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We need to worship the God of the Bible. But then how do we do that? Verse 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with some of thy heart, with some of thy soul, and with some of thy mind, and with some of thy strength. This is the first commandment. Did I read that wrong? Now here's the problem. When we read it right... And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. Who can do that? Who can do that? Be be honest with me. How many of you ever feel like you have a divided heart? You know what I mean by that? You want to do right, but you also want to do wrong. So who can do this? That's why I had you mark the, the John 8 passage. Keep your place here in Mark. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verse 29. All right, John chapter 8 and verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Now look at what it says. For I do always those things that please him. For I do always those things. See, that's the difference between Jesus and me. Now, how many of you think there are, there are a lot of differences between Jesus and me? But the primary one is Jesus always does those things that please the Father, and I don't. So what am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this problem? According to Romans chapter 8, Laura mentioned this passage to me this morning, that the only way we can please God is through the Holy Spirit. You can't please God by walking in the flesh, and you can't walk in the Spirit unless you have the Spirit of God. How do you get the Spirit of God? When you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. So now let's consider, go back to Mark chapter 12, and let's consider this. How can I please God in the new year? Well, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So look at verse 29 again. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. With all thy heart. So what is that? That's just the things that you love. That's the things that you love. What is idolatry? Idolatry is worshiping anything more or loving anything more than God. Do you know for some people, their family is an idol? Their family is an idol. I, I, you know, guys know that I love cars. I love my car. And uh, Nathan's dad got me a gift one time, and he wrote on it, for your idol, and it was a car wash kit for my, my idol. If you love anything more than God, that's sin. Isn't it? That's tough. But here's the good news. I can love Laura better if I love God more than her. I will love her better. I will love Jacob. I must point at Logan. Logan's not Jacob. 
I like you. I love you. No, 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 I do. I love Jacob. I can love Jacob better, and I can be a better dad to him if I love God more than I love him. As a matter of fact, the way that Jesus said it, compared to my love for him, I need to hate her. I need to hate him. Now, am I supposed to hate them? No, but in comparison, that's how much more I should love God. And here's the problem. If something happens here with this relationship, it's amazing how often when this relationship goes bad, that this relationship goes bad. Why? Because I had my priorities backwards. But what if something, God forbid, happens to Jacob and now he's gone? People will lose a child and they also lose their relationship with God. Why? Because they loved that child more than they love God. Now, I got to say, even saying that out loud, I could break down and cry right now. The idea that he would be taken away from us. It's, it's hard to even say that out loud. But the simple fact is that if I love God properly, then I can trust God with him. I can trust God with her. I can trust God with Lydia in Columbus. And I got to tell you, how many of you already knew that? Seriously, how many of you already knew that, right? Until it becomes real, you don't know whether or not you really believe that. 2019 was a difficult year for Laura and I, not for any emotional reason, just because of the magnitude of the work with finishing the building. Okay? So it was a tiring year, but we didn't have anything bad happen. You know, Mom and Dad passed away several years ago. We didn't have any of that this year. So emotionally, it wasn't really a hard year. For me, some of you, you lost people, the most dear people in the world to you in the last year. Some of you have had illness, sickness that's come into your life. So now you have that year. Here's what we're going to pray for in 2020. God, please preserve us from those things this year. Please help us this year. We have some friends in Oklahoma, people that Laura pretty much grew up with from the time she was 12. And... They lost their 31-year-old daughter in 2019 in February and to cancer. She lost her father in November. And now her husband at 64 had a massive stroke and passed away this week. Pray for Charlotte Scott. The thing that she said, the statement was something like, the Lord's going to help us. See, do you know what happens when you're confronted like Charlotte Scott is with, with this? We were, he's, some of you remember the men's group from Stillwater. We had their, their music that we would play sometimes. George was one of those guys. And they sang at a funeral for a lady, Mrs. Monette. She wanted this. They sing this song, um, I'm going to get carried away when I get carried away. I wonder if they're going to sing that at George's funeral. See, what we believe, what we really believe, is demonstrated when the chips are down. 
And so what we need to decide here the first Sunday in January, do I really love God more than everything else in my life? And see, and remember, that's why I started with all that. It's got to be the God of the Bible. We don't have a vindictive God. We don't have a hateful God. We don't have a licentious God. We have a loving, holy Father. And if I really love him, then regardless of what comes into my life this year, I can still worship him. He's my anchor. He's my hope. That doesn't mean when the trouble comes that you, that you, that you have no doubts. Doubts are human. Doubts are natural. You know, some people get mad and blame God when something bad happens. God can take that. God can take that. Amen? Are you all with me on this? If you have a moment of weakness or whatever, God knows. He knows my frame that I am but dust. But if we establish some things ahead of time, man, it helps. So how am I going to please God this year? Love him more than anything else. And when I love him more than anything else, then now all of a sudden my priorities start to get right. Then notice what it says. Go back to Mark 12. Verse 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and then with all thy soul. What does that mean? To love God with all your soul. Well, the Bible says that, that God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul. I learned this from Charles Spurgeon's sermon on this. And he said that when it talks about your soul, he's talking about your life, that you love God with your entire life that you love him more than your life. Why are people willing to martyr themselves for the one true God? Because they, they love him more than their life. And the other thing that happens, so we got these epic guys here, and I just commented yesterday that I love it that you guys come to church. You know, you're making your own decisions, you're living your own lives, and you're accomplishing. Paul just graduated with two associate's degrees in just two years. It's really impressive, really impressive. So now as you guys head into your lives and you're doing these things with your lives, give your life to the Lord. Whatever task, whatever career. So Isaiah, as you're doing your machining and you love working with those things, do it for the Lord. Every time you turn something on a lathe, say, God, this is for you. I want this thing to be just absolutely perfect for you. I want to do this best thing that I can for you. Wade and Stacy minister to special needs children in the school. As they're, as they're caring for those kids, it's for the Lord. This child, even though this child is handicapped, this is a child that God created for his glory. When we're dealing with these people, we, we do it for the Lord. Our life. Let's, I could spend a lot of time on that. When, when you look at someone and you say, you are my life. You are my life. And all of us feel that way about our kids. You are my life. Well, God had better be our life before those kids. Then, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. It's interesting. I love the order of God's words is so cool. So if I love right and I live right, now I can think right. 
if I love right and I live right, now I can think right. How many of you have ever been in a place where you were not thinking right? I think all of us. And mostly, it's mostly in tragedy or in grief or in loss. That's what we're just not thinking right at those times. But if I love right, then I can think right. If I live right, I've established my life properly. I have the things in order. Then I know how to think properly. For me, and many of you are the same way. For me, keeping my thoughts in check, it's one of the hardest things that I do. You know, that whole ADD thing, all of that, my mind's all over the place all the time and bringing those thoughts into captivity. And there are different people, different, different uh, types of thinkers. So the people like me, I've got I've to narrow my focus to get my work done. There are other people, you might struggle with depression. And I've got to tell you, I can't imagine living that way. There's only been a couple of times in my life when I was really down I, and, and, you know, feeling bad for no reason I can't, some of you have to deal with that a lot. And I, man, I pray for you people because that's a very difficult thing to deal with. So what are you supposed to do? When those bad thoughts are coming, you've got to take them into captivity. And you've got to change it around. How? Remembering who the one true God really is. Going to that rock. Going, I, I, I like it, going to the lion that's going to roar when he returns. That Jesus Christ that's returning, the one that's all-powerful, the one that's all-loving, the one that's all-knowing. I have to run to him to mend my thinking. Because you can get in a place, you crawl into that dark hole, and there's no way you can get out of that dark hole by yourself. You have to have the Lord there to help you. And he is. Like Daniel in the lion's den. Son of God walking around there with him. See, if I love right, then I can live right, and then I can think right. And then notice what it says. Look at chapter 12 again. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And then look at this. And with all my strength. It's interesting, when you're not loving right, your strength is completely gone. When you're not living right, then you don't have strength to get through that next battle. When you're not thinking right, I just can't. I can't do this. I, I, I just can't go to church today. I can't help that person. I can't teach my child this. It's interesting how often a, a, a mother, even a, a stay-at-home mom, that's with the kids all the time, can get in such a place where they can no longer discipline their child because they just don't have the strength to do that. Be honest. How many of you moms ever felt like that? I just can't. And I know this has happened. Dad, you come home from work. Mom hands you the baby and is out. Your turn. How many of you ladies have ever, be honest, how many of you ladies have ever done that, right? How many of you wanted to and didn't? Yeah. It's so interesting. The Bible says when we're weak, he's strong. Does the Bible say that? And I got to tell you, we can get in a place where we don't have any strength. We don't have any strength at all. Because of loss, because of sickness, because of stress, 
because of something like depression, something else that's going on in your life, you can get to the place where you simply do not have the strength. Listen, listen, you don't have the strength to do right. You don't have the strength to make the right choice. Folks, it's so important. That's where we have to order things properly before we get to that place. Are you with me on this? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, what do you do if you think, man, I thought I had all this in order, and now I'm in this situation, and I don't have any strength left? Then we turn to the one who said he'd carry us. Is it true? Will Jesus really bear our burdens? And then the Bible says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what are we supposed to do when we can no longer, when we don't have the strength to do it ourselves? And listen, there are people that have done all of this right. They've loved right. They've lived right. They thought right. And now they're in this horrible situation and the strength is gone. It is not there. I promise you, Jesus Christ will carry you, but you also have to let God's people help you. What is it that gets in the way when we have no strength and we resist God's people? What is it that's causing us to resist God's people? Pride. Pride. You know what that is? That's not loving right. That's not thinking right. There are times when we just need help. And that's why God has the church. But you don't know that there's somebody in that church that's done something mean to me. Probably. <laughs> if you're around people, someone's going to do something mean to you. Right? Yeah, you got to be the preacher. You wouldn't believe the stuff people have said to me. And that's just my wife. Listen. You love right. The one true God, the God of the Bible, not the God that people have invented. You love right. Then you can think right. I'm sorry. Then you can live right. Order your life. You live for the Lord. Establish things properly. Then you can think right. You can help other people. But then, when that strength, when, when it's gone, I promise you, he'll give you strength. He will. He'll give you strength. But what about those of us that are strong? What are we supposed to do? Bear the infirmities of the weak. So like right now, I, I mentioned in Sunday school, this is the first Sunday in a long time. I've not felt sick. I'm rested. It's wonderful. I'm strong today. So what should I do? Help somebody. Take that strength and invest it in somebody else. I told him I'd preach for about three hours today because I, I feel good. Hope you brought a lunch. When you don't have strength, that's what God's people are for. Now, here's what's so interesting. Go to, go to the verse again. Mark chapter 12. Haven't even gotten to the second commandment, verse 31. And the second commandment is like, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So you've heard me say this before, and I know all you, you'll know this. You don't know how to love your neighbor until you love God. Right? I'll, I'm going to deal with that this evening. You don't accurately know how to love your neighbor until you love God. But here's what happens when I love right and I live right and I think right. And now I can work right because of my strength. 
Now what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Notice it doesn't say more than yourself. God knows us. Don't love your neighbor more than yourself, but love them as much as yourself. Remember what it said in the Bible? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Everybody. Everybody. So I can love the world right. I can love my neighbor right. I can live right in my community. I can minister in my community. When? I love right. I live right. I think right. Then I know how to work right. I have the right kind of strength. How am I going to please God in the new year? How am I going to please him in the new year? Well, I'm going to love right. I'm going to live right. I'm going to think right. I'm going to work right. Okay, let me rethink that. I can't do that. So maybe we need to walk in the Spirit. What do you think? Maybe we need to die to self, walk in the Spirit, and ask the Lord to help us. Because Jesus always does those things that please the Father. Myself, I pretty much do the stuff that pleases me. So if I'm going to make this year better than next year, better than <laughs> better than next year, let's not do that. If I'm going to make this year better than last year, then I need to change the way that I love, and change the way that I live, and change the way that I think, and change the way that I work, all based on God's priority, the God of the Bible. Amen? Are you all with me on this? And it's different for everybody. This is going to be different for Ethan than it is for me. It's going to be different for Chad than it is for me. It's going to be different for Matt. It's going to be different for you guys. Because God's given you different tasks than he's given me. And yet the priority still has to be the same. It begins with the God of the Bible, the one true God. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we preach. That's the God that we love. That's the God that we live for. And hopefully that's the God that through his power we can help somebody else. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you work in us and through us. Lord, I want to be a vessel I want to be a tool for you. I I want to be a a tool in your hand to help someone else. Lord, I don't want to be a selfish Christian. Lord, I want to live for others. Lord, I, I know that there's people in the room, I'm sure, that they really want to help others, but right now they don't have enough strength to help themselves. Father, I pray that you will be their strength. Lord, help all of us when it's time. Help us to ask for help. Then as a church, help us to be the people that you need us to be. Lord, we love you and we need you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for truth. Thank you for strength. Thank you for life. Lord, help us to live for you this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Here's the question. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You don't have the help of the Holy Spirit unless you're born again. If you're not saved, get saved. Amen? If you're not saved, get saved. If you are saved, are you going to please Him this year? We're going to please Him by obeying what Jesus Christ told us to do. Let's sing this together. All to Jesus, I surrender.
Amen. How many of you want to please the Lord this year? Don't raise your hand here. How many of you don't have the strength to do it? God knows. Amen. Let's make sure that we are aware of the people around us. Let's make sure that we are the help that we need to be. Let's make sure that when we need help that we'll take it from God's people. Let's be, let's be right this year. Let's be right. Amen. Well, I hope you come back tonight. Tonight I'm going to deal with the second commandment, and uh, it's, it's interesting. I hope that you'll be here for that. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Gary, yes, hold on. Oh, let's pray for Carol Brynett. Carol is in the hospital. Um, I believe she's still in intensive care. Um, they're trying to get her heart rate right. Uh, she lost strength in her legs and fell. And so be with, be with Carol. Pray for that the Lord will be with Carol and, and help her. Thank you for reminding me of that. Gary Yates, will you lift your voice and dismiss us in prayer, please?